Oh, what a very good ah, morning. Got to him. Got him. <laughs> I thought you'd be happy. Look oh, at you. You're up and about. Very and you're tired, ready to rumble. Very tired. <laughs> but you've been uh, lying down for the last five oh, days. That's why, probably. <laughs> How can you go to sleep with that noise and the, the rancor of Armanabad and uh, then the silence of Armanabad? Well, oh. they've managed to silence. Well, they say officially. There was 92,453 there. I reckon about, including the team, there was probably about 50 Aussies. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. That The fellow in the Port Adelaide strip, he he looked like a real punish. <laughs> and he was giving it to them all. And uh, every time the camera flicked to him, he was standing up, motioning, yeah, you're here, you're here, you're with us, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, I sit him down quick. Uh, did I reckon you watch there's 50,000 outside the ground as well. Yeah, I know. They were a lot everywhere. of my mates kept ringing me. How do they all get there? The, the, the roads outside on the drone shots look reasonably, um, mm. you know, quiet. And um, I don't know of any trains, but but just I just kept telling them a million little buses. That's yeah. how they get there. Well, I don't think it was that quite early. I heard one of the commentators say yeah, three that he, hours. Ian Bishop uh, was blowing up at how long it took there. But, hey, good morning, all. It's a, it's a drizzly old grey day here in the capital, but it's certainly not for our cricketers. For the sixth time, they are World Cup champions, and they've done it easily. And uh, how would you think we'd be saying that with the way that India completely dominated mm. this tournament, won nine straight matches through the semifinals, then we put them to the sword last night. I'll give you the stats. Hills will give you how it happened. 240 India, we kept them there. Uh, Sharma gave them a brilliant start with 47 or 31. Virat scored another 50. Uh, KL Rahul, 66. But really our bowlers were the heroes. Stark finished with three for 55. Cummins was unbelievable in the early exchanges. Two for 34. Hazelwood finished with two for 60. Australia then uh, blew them away. Seven overs to spare. Four for 241. This is after recovering from three for 87. Travis Head. Man of the match, star of the show, 137 of 120, 15 fours and four sixes. Manus, who wasn't even in the initial squad, 58 of 110. Boomer took a couple for 43, but uh, it was just unbelievable. Three for 47, did I say three for 87? Three for 47, the Australians, and then 192 runs stand uh, between Manus and Travis Head, and it was just brilliant, Heels. Manus, eh? What a great survivor, and he was so humble at the end. All the boys were. They, they were incredibly, incredibly accepting of what had just happened. They were sort of in in sort of uh, gaga land themselves. They never did it easy. It's going to look easy on the scorecard, mm-hmm. but the side that bowled the best was going to win, and that was us. Even everyone knew India had only five bowlers. If one of them has an off day slash night, look out. They, they've got they've got real work to do. And that was the Australian batting top order's goal, to hit someone out of the attack and make them have to cover for that. And oh, to just Australia produced their best when they needed it. It's the best we've ever played. Yeah, look, it was quite emotional for Manus afterwards uh, because this was a guy that initially <laughs> wasn't even in this World Cup squad. Oh, mate, um, what we've achieved today um, is unbelievable. It's the best achievement um, I've ever been a part of. Um, just to come to India, India, you know, 10 from 10 with one to play. They've been the, the team of the tournament. They've played unbelievable. Um, but y- you knew if, if we played our best cricket, we were a chance. And, um, you know, our bowlers were sensational. And then Travis put on... A hell of a display, and um, it was great to be a part of it with him. Travis. Oh, <laughs> did you see that? How long did you get to? Um, I saw them through with uh, Coley out. Oh, right. Yeah, right. They, you know, you didn't see us bat at all. No, not at all. You should have seen it. There was chaos. It was so <laughs> dramatic. Chaos. The crowd was screaming. Boomer and uh, Shammy Shami. were the opening. They didn't, for once... They were making some decisions that didn't make sense. That's open with Siraj all tournament, but they wanted Shami in now. Yeah. And and Siraj and um, Boomerah had done really, really well together. And then Shami has come in behind them and got five wickets, seven wickets, those sorts of things. But they swapped it all about. And they produced this pink box where our – and I think it stemmed from Matthew Hayden's commentary the night before in the semifinal – uh, yeah, then 
they're not moving their feet outside an ice cream bucket. Yeah. Right? Their footwork just couldn't work. So last night they had a pink box that had their feet covered in the box. Right, and it showed it very, very clearly. We just couldn't move our feet. Yeah. The ball was darting away. It was swinging in, and at pace, it looked way too fast for us. Travis Head got through it, but David Warner flashed at a wide one, real wide, because they weren't sure which way it was going to swing and mm. when their next ball was going to be there to hit. Mitch Marsh, fifteen off fifteen. Swings at a real wide one, under edges a cut shot. It it looked impossible at the moment. And then Travis Head and Steve Smith settled a few things and then Marnus took it on from there. Yeah, Marnus, as I said, uh, just to be in this side and be part of it uh, is probably his greatest achievement. Um, I, I know you guys know I'm a man of faith and believe in God, but I, I, the way everything's happened, it's it's unbelievable to me and, and it's just amazing. I, I don't... I'm lost for words. The amount of times that I thought I'm done, even last night, team didn't get named until about 10-10. Really? So you were still concerned at that point? Yeah, I thought coaches went to the ground, might be Dewey, I might be out. Um, so I'm very thankful for them for sticking with me. Um, but, yeah, I just... I, I don't have many words to explain. Three months ago, I wasn't even in South Africa in the one-day team, and, and to play 19 games straight from there is it, truly a miracle. I don't know how... I can't, um, you know, give the thanks to God for that. <laughs> yeah, good on good him. Stuff, yeah, good that's on fantastic. Him. The ins and outs have been incredible. Yeah, I know. Oh, broken hey, hand. Yeah. Golf buggies. Well, that's why Travis Head wasn't even there for the first part <laughs> yeah. of the series. Come up yeah, with like one of the great catches. Josh Inglis, the wicketkeeper in, carry out. <laughs> Zampa was injured, wasn't he? Yep. Zampa's back has been miracle. Mm. Get the physio a gold medal too because <laughs> that back has come through so, so well. He's been the real difference for the Australian side. Hey, we're here for Burbank Homes, the builders you can trust. You can bank on Burbank Homes and the all-new Hyundai Kona. It's imagined to be bold. Peach uh, is on the uh, text line, which is 0467 736 736. Well, well, what a fantastic moment. There's rain about. It's a bit cooler. Aussies win the World Cup again. I've even given Albo permission to fly to India, give Rahendra Modi a headlock noogie and say, giddy up. <laughs> yeah. Oscar's up and about too. Oh, that's so good. Uh, uh, who have we got? Joseph here. Wow, what about that win? Amazing. I'm so happy. Great win. On a side note, Hills, I heard Damien Fleming talking to Jared about the 1996 semi. Hills, what about the run out? What happened? Or what, you, what run out? I don't know. Mm. What about that run out? Yeah. 1996. Oh, it's a long time ago, Joseph. Well, the, the England in 99 was the famous South African run out. Mm. 96 against Sri Lanka. I'll have to think about the run out. <laughs> it, we, we got, actually, I got run, maybe Flemo threw the ball for um, Kalu with Arana. You know, the big thing, we, we thought we had things covered in 96 too. We didn't quite make enough runs. We made 242, I reckon. Mm. Exactly what India did. And there was Big Jew coming in, Lahore. And we had them two for nine, from my memory. Kalu with Arana and Jayasuria, the two sloggers, yeah. out. One of them was a run out. And Flemo must have thrown it into me from fine leg or third man and was on the bounce because it was a magnificent take. And that, <laughs> that's what Flemo must have been on about. Flemo must have thrown it. <laughs> uh, Oscar, this might go down as one of the greatest wins in Australian history to beat India on their home soil. World Cup. With everything in favour of the home side, it's an outstanding achievement. I'll add it one more is. to that, Paddy. They're the best Indian team I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, that, and not only the best team physically, technically, and but confidence-wise and dominance. And we beat them in their hometown. My goodness, that's good. We'll have a chat to Barrett. Uh, to be fair, we have recorded that because it was like 1.30 in the morning, uh, but he was still at the ground. Uh, the, the the tweets or the X's or whatever they call these days, they're coming thick and fast. David Warner, wow, did you see that happening? We did. Common Australia, 0-2 and, and written off <laughs> and the thumbs up. Marnus, good morning, Australia. Shots of he and Travis Head holding the trophy aloft yeah. with their fists raised. Heavy too. Yeah, it's fantastic. All, a lot, most of the Australian players uh, are tweeting this morning. Barat, it's only fair that two mighty South Aussies, so there's Barat standing arm in arm with Travis Head. Yeah. <laughs> two of the great South Aussies. But he is a great man, Barat, and he's been wonderful to us. We'll get his take 
on what has been a golden era. He's been part of it, Heels. He was there with the team. The World Test Championship in June. We retain the Ashes amid some controversy, and then we win the World Cup. What a time for Australian cricket. Yeah, we can't ask more of that team than that. I think that's a reach too far that they have to play five T20s now. Not many of them are in this squad. No. But we've been at home resting Manus Lab, uh, not Manus Labashane, Usman Kawaja from Shield matches to have him right for the summer. But our players are not even finished the World Cup and they've got to go and play five T20s. No. They're, they're not going to be able to play this Test Series if we're consistent in our treatment of these players. So that you cannot ask any more of them and there better be a financial windfall for the players as well as Australian cricket for this T20 series that's about to start in four days' time. Yeah. So the boys will put their tweets away and get back into T20 cricket. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Do you reckon, you're listening to Marnus's quotes, do you reckon any other player in that squad knew that the team, that the time was 10-10 and the team hadn't been announced? No. Oh, he must have been so tense. Well, it was, oh. we, we, well, that's all we've been talking about all week, wasn't it? Was it Marcus or Marnus? Well, Marcus Stoinis, uh, if he just didn't ha- give us enough, did he? Through the whole tournament, he just didn't give us enough. There, there was a good argument to put Marcus in there so he could slog the spinners, mm-hmm. like slog them for six. If he was in better form, that's where he might have wedged his way in ahead of Marnus. But uh, but it wasn't to be. If the Jew came in and the ball slid on and didn't spin as much, Marcus Stoinis in good form could find the boundary better than Marnus. Well, the justification came when we hit three for 47. And did and, it. And Marnus. And did it the tough way. Yeah, Marnus played the rock. Um, apparently you ran out Ambrose in 96 from Joseph. That's oh, good. in the semi-final. Semi-final, yes. Mm. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah, as I said, we'd love you to join us today. It's uh, it's Don't one of the clearly. great day, one of the great days of Australian sport. The Suncorp Home Resilience Open Line thirteen thirteen fifty five. The text line oh four six seven seven three six seven three six. Even though Head was man of the match, he pulled off an unbelievable catch to get rid of uh, the skipper, and then scored that one hundred and thirty seven. The winning runs uh, were left to Maxwell. Two for victory for Australia. Glad Maxwell to see his first ball. Siraj bowls to him. Maxwell clobbers a ball out to square leg. A dive on the boundary to save it. They'll come back for a second. And Australia has won the World Cup. A sixth championship victory and surely none greater than this. Yeah, it was almost anticlimactic, wasn't it? Hey. Seven overs they had to spend. I woke Don't up. Worry about that. And said that we had eleven runs to go with I don't know, sixty balls left. Ah, oh, how good is this? And then went straight back to sleep and happy. Oh, but I Mac- haven't been able to sleep. <laughs> Maxwell hit the winning runs. Yeah, it was a bit of a horror shank and a bit of a slog, but um, yeah, it, it feels amazing. I, I think we were all pretty much um, excited once it got under 20, and I'd sort of resigned to the fact that I wouldn't have to bat it much like 2015, but um, unfortunately, Eddie got out. And, um, but yeah, it was nice to be out there with Martin and having the guys come out, and uh, what a win. Uh, David Warner, though, deflected straight to the bowlers. He said they yeah, look, are the ones. Um, you know, our bowlers were fantastic. And, uh, you know, that sort of flow from last game, just, you know, they set the tone from, from ball one. And, um, you know, the, the fielding again tonight supported that. And, uh, look, to, to bowl injury out for 240 on that in a final um, is absolutely exceptional. Yeah, it was, and we'll discuss it right the way through the morning. As I said, we'd love you to be part of it. The Suncorp Home Resilience Open Line is thirteen thirteen fifty five. that text line 0467 736 736. By the way, Rugby Australia has a, a new interim chairman. He's a Queenslander. We'll discuss that as the morning as goes on. The uh, the coup has been successful over a dramatic weekend, and we'll discuss that as well. It's uh, 6.17. Vanessa's in the studio. Uh, good morning. Good it's morning. It's been chaos, hasn't oh, it? I know. Speaking of dramatics, it is all happening. Um, On the weather front as well, actually, it was quite dramatic for some families in the Darling Downs area yesterday who were forced to evacuate their homes due to a fast-moving bushfire. It's been downgraded, but it is still at watch and act level and not safe to return. But in a bit of a twist, um, you know, the alerts today are now for heavy rain and potentially severe thunderstorms Mm -hmm. in the Darling Downs as well as along the East Coast here and New South Wales as well. So, look, just 
just advice there is to keep an eye on the radar and, um, yeah, stay yeah. safe. Well, let's hope the storms aren't severe and let's hope the rain basically mm. gives our fireys a bit of a chance to rest. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Hopefully the cooler conditions, that cool change and a bit of rain does the job. Uh, now, we are just always being told to be on alert about cyber security. Uh, stats today show one in three Australians have had their passwords stolen, but many of us are still using the same password across multiple accounts. And, uh, you know, they're just saying to uh, increase our security online, uh, especially we've got the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales mm-hmm. coming up. That's officially this coming weekend, where Australians are expected to spend more than $3 billion. Mm. These sales are bigger than the Boxing Day <laughs> sales. There's the Gabba. Right yeah, there. yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> That's right. If we all just pitch in a little bit, we <laughs> one, can fund one it. One Boxing Day, one Black Friday, yeah. and we've got the gather. I know. So they're saying, especially with a lot of online shopping happening with these sales, that's just a prime target as well for scammers. So uh, just as always, be extra vigilant. Don't mm-hmm. click on any unknown links, and also just keep those passwords up to date and uh, you know nice and secure. Now, very jealous of all the people in Perth on the weekend who got to turn out and see Coldplay in their two concerts, Perth only. Um, they made their little detour from Southeast Asia to perform their two shows. Uh, and, uh, you know, all reports, it was such an amazing show. Chris Martin even paying a tribute to one Aussie sporting legend. Thanks for everything, We know they were very close friends, Chris <laughs> Martin and Even Shane after Warnie played the harmonica. Yeah, yeah <laughs> terribly, yes. <laughs> um, but um, they've made a big announcement actually as well that they are coming back to Australia next year. And so tickets are going on sale in a couple of weeks for Melbourne and Sydney shows, which will be next October and November. Mm. So for those uh, over in the East who were very annoyed about them only playing in the West, we don't have too long to wait until they do come back. That's a nice personal announcement. Announcement they made, wasn't it? Mm. Out yeah. of Asia, came across just to get the, yeah. the new day town. Yeah, but That's did you right. see he jumped the fence uh, at wherever they were staying and uh, gate crashed a wedding? Oh, did he? Yeah, with bare feet. He had a, he had a cap on and shorts and a T-shirt, uh, jumped over the fence of where they were staying. There was a wedding going on and he posed for the bride and the groom. Who <laughs> would be disappointed about Chris Martin crashing their wedding? I Just would not be. Just give us a bar or two. Yeah. <laughs> yes, serenade. It's 6.21. We best get to a break. I don't know why we need ads. We should be just here talking about the cricket for the next Hattie, three hours. have you seen your bank book? <laughs> Racing action continues every day right across the Sunshine State. Yep, they're at Warwick today. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing. But remember, what's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit thegamblinghelponline.org.au. Good morning, mate. Good morning, Paddy. Good morning, Heels. And, yes, I did watch a fair chunk of it last night. Didn't stay up all night, but I did watch a fair chunk. And, gee, it was a, a great result. They... Uh, they certainly bowled really well late in that uh, late in the Indian innings. The wickets were just tumbling, so that was a great result to win over there. One of what 130,000 people, of which 129,000 would have definitely been Indians. <laughs> it was uh, they choked them, then they just gave them nothing easy yeah. to hit. And then when they did yeah. hit one, they had to work hard to get it through the field. Unreal, unreal. What was Saturday yeah. like in the the summer carnival's beginnings, mate? Well, I'll tell you what, Hills, it was a great day out there at the Sunshine Coast. I was in attendance, but as for finding winners, I think I found two, which uh, was a little bit disappointing, but uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. But, look, it was a, a great day for uh, for some of the major stables. I mean, Tony Gollan landed the uh, the Swiss ace plate with Natuno, a horse that, yeah, I thought he'd gone off the boil a little bit. His trial was okay recently, but even Tony post-race said uh, he'd been tricking them and they were trying to trick him and they'd sent him out over the over some hurdles uh, <laughs> while he was off for having his break. And, yeah, so he's been a, been a bit of a problem child, but he was very impressive winning there. He had a nice run in behind the speed. Obviously, Prince of Boom was the disappointment, but he did pull up with cardiac arrhythmia, so there were some issues there. I wouldn't be jumping off him. And, of course, the uh, the Malula Bar Cup went to June 45 for Rob Heathcote and uh, Boris Thornton, who uh, arrived late. He's a very good horse uh, early on in his campaign, and, now he's two from two this time in. So well done to all. It was a terrific day's racing. 
Yeah, Boris had to lose a fair bit of weight, didn't he, to get a jump on June 45. He got right on down, right at 55 and a half. 55 and a half kilos. Yeah, he rode that uh, horse very well. No, Knight's Choice, interesting runner, Paddy. This is, of course, the horse that won the Wing Skinnies uh, in the winter time. Uh, was going to, well, was knocked back a sale for 2.2 million, I think it was, and they had Cox Plates, etc., in mind. Well, he didn't quite reach those levels. He ran fourth in the Malula Bar Cup there on Saturday. You look at the replay, he might have been a little bit unlucky. So he might be one to keep following now that he's back in Brisbane. This might be his sort of level over the summer carnival. Hey, what about the two-year-olds? Uh, Chris Munstable going nicely. Yeah, well, Tony Gollan had the short price favourite here in Barbie's sister. Now, Barbie's sister ran along in front, charged along with Mashani Lily. Uh, Mashani Lily ended up being the first one to crack, was beaten five lengths. Barbie's sister looked home, but then she started to wobble late. The pressure told, and poster girl got up along the inside for uh, for Robbie Dolan and, and Chris Munch. She came from a long way off. Barbie's sister must have really hit the wall that last uh, 100 metres, last 50 metres or so. So a good effort, I'd say, from Barbie. She did well, but poster girl had the... Uh, the last crack at her. Doubles to a Jimmy Orman, CJ Graham, Tony Gollan and Rob Heathcote. So terrific opening day to the Summer Carnival. And Michael Rod, he got one. Yeah. Yeah, he got National Choice home. That was one of the ones I found. So happy to see that happen. And look, there post-race, the scenes in the Manning Yard, he got plenty of cheers. Yeah. And big smile on his face. He's a very, very popular jockey, Michael Rod. And most people know what he's been through. And they, uh, they're very happy to see him riding winners. That's uh, mm. one I think he rode last... We know he rode the Friday night winner, one last Wednesday and one on Saturday. So it's building nicely for, uh, for Michael Rod. Hey, very quickly, mate, uh, where to for the rest of the week for Queensland Racing? As you mentioned, Paddy, Warwick today, Rockhampton tomorrow, Doombin Wednesday, Ipswich Thursday, Friday a doubleheader, Cairns during the day, Sunshine Coast in the evening, Saturday Doombin, the listed recognition and the listed Tats Classic, Aquas Park on the poly track, Kilcoy's got their uh, Christmas Cup. I wrote Xmas there, Christmas Cup. And we also <laughs> race at uh, Toowoomba in the in the Twilight Zone and the Sunshine Coast on uh, on Sunday. And don't forget, too, there are some trials this morning on the Gold Coast on the new turf track. Uh, it is raining, but I haven't heard any uh, change to those. So as far as I know, they're still on. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Much appreciated. Thanks, Chris. Th- thanks, guys. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support... Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Well, Hills, as we've spoken about all morning, it was Australia's night and a fabulous evening of World Cup final. Got him. <laughs> For the sixth time, the Australians are champions of the world. Barrett has been part of it right the way through. Barrett, what what a what a night it was, and it was just it was just such a, a comprehensive performance by the Aussies, wasn't it? Oh, uh, I think we're going to struggle to. Uh call any of the previous five World Cup trophy wins greater than this, uh, because this is right up there, right? Yes, uh, maybe 1987 when Alan Borders' team famously beat England in, at the Eden Gardens, but to beat India, this India, this indomitable India, right here at the Narendra Modi Stadium, where I still am, I still haven't left the stadium hours after Australia become world champion, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in front of 120,000 Indians, at the ground, uh, 1.4 billion Indians elsewhere, uh, thousands of Indians right outside the ground, uh, and to silence them and to win a World Cup here is just a remarkable achievement, not just for this team, but for Australian cricket. Yep, I think it's the best, um, Barat, and I'll be justifying that throughout this morning's uh, program. Um, oh. it, what an eerie feeling. 120,000 people felt like about 5,000 for a lot of the match. Yeah, and it felt like 80 when Travis had got to his 50 heels because only I counted 80 guys were clapping. (laughs) (laughs) And that number actually dropped to 18 when he got to 100 because a lot of them had started leaving by then. Uh, It was was a bizarre day overall. Like to start with, they had the air show where all these Air Force pilots are putting off all these stunts in the air, so extremely loud. Uh, Throughout the day, there was the anticipation of when... uh, uh, the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi would arrive at the ground. Um, and in the backdrop was the cricket uh, with all these people to sat around, all of them in blue, a universe of blue, yeah. more than just a sea of blue in their Virats and Rohits. Uh, and even when India were batting, uh, Rohit gets out, pin drop silence. Virat gets out, the only thing you can hear is the bail drop. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a, it's a strange, strange night. Like, you know, how we've seen World Cup centurions before, World Cup final centurions, but never before have we seen someone raise his bat 
and nobody's react except Jeff Marsh at one end and the Australian dressing room at the other. Yeah. Some of our bowlers, when they got a wicket, they had to sort of double take and think, oh, hang on, yeah, I've got to celebrate here and we've got to really carry <laughs> on and get in the huddle because no one else is helping us. It, it was it was just <laughs> a brilliant uh, cricket. What about the dramatic chaos when India started to bowl? They had it darting everywhere and, my oh. goodness, the Australians just did not know where an easy-to-hit ball was going to come from. No, and Travis Head was all at sea, right? He tried swinging at deliveries. His feet were all over the place. Uh, and Justice Bumrah was whooping it around like we are in Headingley on a damp day. Uh, and Mohamed Shami from the other end as well. Uh, and then, but the big thing was how much spin the, the spinners would get from this pitch. Like speaking to a number of the Australian creators yesterday, heels, they all were a little wary of this pitch. They were like, oh, it felt like the indoor test pitch. Uh, or it feels like yep. it is going to turn a lot. <laughs> yeah, so they were really concerned about the spinners, and that's why I think Pat Cummins decided to field first as well, not to give the Indian spinners a go on that. But yeah, the fast bowlers have been so superb throughout this tournament. The Bumrah and Siraj and Shami were uh, literally unplayable. And then, but that's why Travis Head's innings, like you said, this is the greatest performance by an Australian team. But Travis Head's innings is right up there amongst the greatest performance away from home ever. I, I see, I talk about the strangulation theory, like after the 10th over, I think India only hit four fours, which is just most un-India-like this tournament, isn't it? No, yeah, and it took them 19 overs or so to get that first boundary after the 10th over. They were flying uh, at, what, 76 for one, and Rohit Sharma had really taken uh, down uh, Josh Hazelwood, and he was going after Mitchell Stark. Virat Kohli has struck Stark for three straight boundaries. Um, and then Travis Head took that catch. Uh, and then Shreyas Iyer hit the last ball of the power play for four. So 80 for two. And from that point on, to put that kind of pressure um, on this Indian batting lineup with Virat Kohli in there, batting pretty really, really well. KL Rahul has been in great form as well. It was a great effort. The bowling changes were 22 bowling changes overall. Um, and so many one-hour spells. Like Pat Cummins was... So on the ball today. He, I've never seen him so hyperactive on a cricket ground yes. before as captain. Uh, but he was so switched on. The field field positions as well. Uh, he kept moving them around. He started off with a sweep car, sweeper cover on the boundary because he realized it's a slow pitch. Uh, he kept his uh, third man and fine legs really, really fine because he didn't want any edges flying uh, to the boundary. And the fielding. Uh, so David Warner was on. Everybody was on. And Travis had catch just set the tone. And, Barat, were you commentating session by session with the boys on SEN? I heard your pre-match session on SEN and you, you, you couldn't hear a thing. How did you go through the night? <laughs> uh, no, I was doing more uh, innings breaks and, like, a lot of drinks breaks, uh, Hills, but I was uh, up um, uh, amongst the crowd and I couldn't hear a word of what I was saying. <laughs> uh, so, thanks, thankfully, most of the drinks breaks came, like, uh, when a wicket had fallen for India or... Uh, when Australia were batting well. So they were silent anyway. Yeah. Uh, but the DJ was uh, revving it up. It, it, it really felt like a 2 a.m. Mumbai nightclub scene. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about Pat Cummins. He was on the ball, but he produced his best bowling performance of the tournament. Yeah. You know, two for 34 from 10 overs. His slower balls looked deceptive. He had a little bit of zing out of the hand as well when he wanted to bowl a, a full-on pace delivery. Gee, he was good. Oh, he was sensational. He was like, uh, come the big game, uh, you know, the big man steps up, right? Uh, you're right. From from his first over onwards, uh, he was changing the pace uh, on the ball. He was rolling his fingers over. His off cutters were turning like off breaks, mm. like Murlidharan was bowling. That's how dry the pitch was. Uh, but the bouncers, like, yeah, I mean, his bouncers were clocked at 140 to 144. He rushed Virat Kohli a couple of times. He used that good part of the pitch in the middle uh, beautifully for those short pitch deliveries. Uh, he could easily have gotten four more wickets, but I don't think any wicket would have mattered more than Virat Kohli. But I think the even bigger wicket came earlier of Shreya Sire. Uh, speaking to uh, some of the Australians yesterday, they said they felt that Shreya Sire was a danger guy yeah. because he scores runs so quickly, allows Virat Kohli to go at his pace. But because Pat Cummins took out Shreya Sire, uh, Virat Kohli and KL Rahul had to rebuild, and that's where Australia could really strangle them, like Pat said. Yep, and they could act like young players, inexperienced at that level. If we got early wickets and got the big boys out, gee, the others had a lot of work to do. Yeah, and especially, I think India's success in this tournament 
uh, came back to haunt them in when it mattered most, right? He was like, Jadeja hadn't batted much. Surya Kumar Yadav hadn't had a much of a mm. hit because the uh, the others had been so dominant. Uh, and unfortunately for India, when it came to the finals, when they were in a position where they had, uh, those guys like Jadeja walks in at six today, uh, he had to bat for 16, 17 overs, rebuild the innings. And he really struggled. He looked out of rhythm, out of sync. Surya Kumar the same. Um, and which is why I think, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of let India down when it mattered most. If, having said that, 240 seemed a tricky target. And at 3 for 47, when Steve Smith bizarrely doesn't <laughs> review uh, uh, one which would have saved him, um, you were like, oh, this is when India get on top. Because that's when the noise was at another level. Yeah. And you played a lot of cricket in India here. This is one thing with when India are batting, but it's when India are feeling that the crowd gets really rowdy and noisy. Barra, just as an overview, you've been with them for the last six months or so. You see the World Test Championship, retaining the Ashes, and now this World Cup victory, they're sixth in this. Um, where do you put this period in Australian cricket? It's a red-letter year in Australian cricket history. Uh, don't forget the India Tour as well. Well, yes, they didn't win the series, but they won that famous test in Indore. Came so close to winning in Delhi, only if they had one better, one good session more. Um, uh, it's Pat Cummins and Andrew McDonald and everyone else's team and behind and the backroom staff uh, have done a stellar job. And I think we will look back at 2023 as uh, uh, one of those years where um, like Australia really rose back to the top uh, of the table, not just because they won two world titles, that had never happened before, uh, but because they just, uh, they, they don't look as indomitable as they used to during the whole Steve or Ricky Ponting era, but they look dominant in a different way. Uh, and they just find ways of winning. Uh, they just get the job done. Uh, there's this professionalism to them that is just remarkable. So no, I think it's such a sensational year for them. Uh, and it's not a big break either. Some of them stay back for the T20 series, uh, the home summer is not too far away. I'll be in Perth in three weeks' time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, lots more cricket to come. But 2023, it was always built up to be a, a career-defining era, uh, year, as Pat Cummins had said. And I think it has proven to be a career-defining, if not era-defining year. And those fast bowlers have been incredible. I hope our state teams around Australia can take a, a leaf out of that book. Our, our quicks have got through an incredible workload. It is possible to do without rotating in and out and resting and, and uh, you know, cotton wooling our young fast bowlers because it won't be long before we're going to need young fast bowlers. Very, very soon as well, Niels. Uh, look, uh, if not in test cricket, then definitely in white ball cricket. Uh, now that they have these guys, the three that you just mentioned, have two World Cup titles to show for it, 2015 and this one. Um, you would wonder whether they'll, um, they'll definitely not be around in 2027. Stark and Hazelwood in particular. Uh, maybe Pat Cummins might want another shot at it uh, in South Africa. But uh, th- this is when, you know, uh, the young fast bowlers need to come through. I'm really hopeful that we get to see a few of them during the home summer. Uh, you know, the likes of Lance Morris, uh, for sure, yes. uh, get a, a more of a go. Because we have to start now looking at the future. Uh, Australia don't play a lot of test cricket over the next couple of years, away from home anyway. Uh, but this has to be the big transition. And it's a good time to make the transition without ashes and without a big India tour in the offing. If they can do that, then in four years' time, when we have another big year, uh, they will be ready and they can take over from these three uh, magnificent, like world class uh, megastars. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, Barat, all we can do is celebrate break here. I'm certain there's a little bit of that happening over there as well. And we really want to thank you for your contribution, over, the, particularly over the last six months. It's just been brilliant. You deserve a break, mate. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. My wife thinks so too. But, well, uh, I'll be leaving uh, for Perth just before a birthday. So, uh, you know, I'll figure that out. I'll be in trouble. <laughs> hey, great work, you mate. Thanks, well done, Barat. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Cheers. Well, you didn't have to stay up late to watch this yesterday. And as it turned out, after all the hype and all the money that they spent on the race and the early controversy, it turned out to be one of the races of the season. And uh, SEN's F1 expert, uh, Cam Vanderdungen, was watching it, no doubt. Host mm-hmm. of the grid walk. Uh, would have been plenty to talk about. Uh, Cameron, very good morning to you. After all the controversy, it turned out to be just one hell of a race, didn't it? 
It was an absolute ripper of a race. But just before you, you mentioned that, having to uh, choose the couch or the bed for late night sport is, is the staple of my sporting That's diet. Exactly being a right, Formula One fan. Yeah. So I'm used to I'm used to that uh, the strategies you got to run. And I finally got a treat being able to watch the race from 5 to 7 p.m. yesterday. And we had a watch party on SEN across the entire network in Australia and New Zealand. And it was just, it was a ripping race. I was struggling to concentrate on getting to ad breaks and things because I was just engrossed <laughs> in the action on track. I, I, um, I was predicting early on, I did a bit with um, uh, SENQ and was saying Max Verstappen by how far. Well, it was Max Verstappen, but geez, he had to work for it. Yes, well, some of my mates said when I asked, oh, how's that going? I was away doing something else. And they said, oh, Verstappen's just running into everyone. He's, <laughs> you know, working his way through the field, bumping everyone out of the way. Well, what happened with Max Verstappen early on, so on the very first lap, he started on the dirty side of the track. And for the non-motorsport fans out there, it actually matters where the grip is off the start line because you want the bite on the tyre to get you down to turn one. So Max Verstappen was starting on the dirty side, got a good start, but then he pushed Charles Leclerc wide at turn one. That gave him a five-second penalty. That dropped him further back in the pack. And on his way back through, yeah, he did. He made contact with George Russell. He felt that George Russell turned in on him, did damage to his front wing. And it was, a, it was a really tough drive from Max Verstappen. And it's what you want to see from your champions. He hasn't really been pushed this year. But last night he was pushed and he rose to the top as he's done all year long. So he has been a vocal critic. There's no doubt about that. Some of the things he said were just plain nasty, weren't they, this, this week about the Vegas Grand Prix? And this is a place where Liberty Media had spent, well, you know, depending on which reports you believe, anywhere between 700 and a billion dollars on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm adamant that it was about a billion dollars all up. If you add everything, that's, you know, adding in the, the, the tea biscuits and everything else into the uh, the bill as well. But uh, he won't be on their Christmas card list. I, I can't imagine Max Verstappen. He, he, he told it how he, he sees it. He's Dutch. He's very blunt. What he was trying to say is, I do this to race. I don't do this to be a circus show. The yeah. reality for Max is if you're just a, a racer in this modern era, it doesn't matter what sport you're in. If it's cricket, footy, if you're in soccer, it's entertainment now as well. You have to put on a show. You have to be engaging. And what Formula One wants, Stefano Domenicali, who's the CEO of Formula One, he has been very clear to all the Grand Prix around the world. And on SEN earlier this year, we had the brand new CEO of the Grand Prix Corporation, Travis Old, on the show. And Travis said that he was briefed that every Grand Prix must feel and have the flavour of the country and city it's in. And if that wasn't Vegas, that race, the flavour, the feel, everything. I mean, they turned up to the podium in a Rolls Royce. It was ostentatious, but that is Las Vegas. And I, I, you know what? I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I am as well. He, he's uh, very strong words when he says, I feel like a clown, you know, with the introduction of the drivers. You know, he's, he's wanting the exposure of the drivers and the driver's skill but not all the razzmatazz and st- distractions that take the crowds away from the actual driving. Can't have both, can you? No, you can't. But look, Max is Max is he's telling it exactly how he sees it. He just wants to race. There's nothing no. more to Max than the race car. So I understand his point, and I think the media's blown it all out of proportion. To be totally honest with you, and I'm, I'm going to have a bit of a crack at the English media here, and I know heels, you wouldn't mind doing that as well at, uh, at times over, <laughs> Go for over it. the Go journey, for it. but. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they just they've tried to make the sport too English over the years, and it it's not it's a world championship. It's for the rest of the world. Americans are the way they are. Australians are the way we are. I think I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think the the English media have beaten this up because the that the English fans have been really upset with what's been going on in Vegas because okay. they don't think it's Formula One, uh, and so I think Max has been used as a bit of a, uh, a mouthpiece inadvertently on his behalf, but I think yeah. the English media and some of the English fans that don't like this element of the sport, which is, you know, the big showbiz and Bruce Buffer giving the big driver announcements. Yep. So I, I, I'm not going to put it on Max, but I will put it on the amplification of the message for to suit other people's narratives. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the race itself. It turned out to be an absolute beauty and some really good stuff from Oscar Piastri. Oh, Oscar, what a drive. This this guy couldn't get the McLaren to switch on during qualifying. But as we said at the top of our show, qualifying's one thing, racing's another when it came to Vegas and getting the tyres into that optimal window. The McLaren just wasn't able to do it over one lap. But over race distance, Oscar was, um, he rolled the dice on strategy. So he was running as high as P3 uh, legitimately early in the race. He started on the hard compound tyre and wanted to run long. 
the strategy they ran needed a late race safety car to put him into contention of some decent points. But pure skill of the young driver from Melbourne got himself into 10th and the fastest lap of the race. So he ended up with two points, which is critically important for himself. He'll finish ninth, finish ninth in the championship. We've only got one race to go, but just yet again showed the maturity and level-headed nature of a, of a, a rookie driver. It's incredible to think this is his first season in Formula yeah. One with the drives he continually puts in. Yeah, we had Alan Jones on the show last week because, as we know, he won in uh, in Vegas. But, uh, boy, he's got enormous wraps on this kid, and he just said he is a world champion in waiting. Mm. He, he really is. But um, the other, his teammate, unfortunately, it was a really dirty day for McLaren. Only the two points um, after Lando Norris had a very big crash yeah. at turn, uh, sorry, lap four of the race. He actually nearly took out Oscar Piastri. If you go back and watch the replays, Oscar had just gone through the corner when Lando came flying behind him. Lando actually got taken to hospital last night. He's been released. He's okay now. Should be okay for Abu Dhabi, but that was a very big accident. Mm. Yeah. And right. the Ferraris were supposed to be quite suited as well, weren't they? Yeah. Ferrari were legitimately quick. I think that was one that got away from them last night, and I really do feel for Charles Leclerc. He, uh, yet again, started from pole position, um, which he's done uh, quite a few times this year. He's had it five times he's been on pole position, but has not been able to convert any of them. In fact, the last 12 starts he's had from pole position, he has not been able mm. to win the race. So that's, that's, that's the second longest streak of poles with no wins of any driver. You have to go back to Rennie Anu way back in 79 to 82. Like, like basically the last time we raced in Las Vegas where we saw that, uh, that record of um, poles without a win. So I, I think last night got away from them. Um, if not for Max just being the brilliant driver he is, that was a Ferrari win. And for Charles Leclerc to get that pass done on Sergio Perez on the last lap, I think even the Ferrari team, if you go back to the, the footage, they were shocked that he able to get through. So um, great drive from Charles Leclerc. And, and also credit to Carlos Sainz, who worked his way back after the, the 10 grid place penalty. He ended up in P6. So it was a great drive from Carlos Sainz. Good stuff, Cameron. Really appreciate your time, mate. Mad, uh, Mad Max, not so mad this morning, winning his 18th Grand Prix of the year. He's just uh, untouchable. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, guys. Jimmy Tucker on the line. Uh, Jimmy, we're obviously going to talk about the the coup being complete. It's been the most dramatic of times for Rugby Australia over the weekend. But I just thought I'd bring this up, mate, uh, with you on the line. Uh, Our great mate Crash, Rob Craddock, uh, wrote a brilliant piece on John Millman at the weekend and coming up to lift the spirits of our dearly departed mate, Paul Scobie Malone. Johnny Millman has replied on Twitter this morning, thanks for the article, Crash. This one really moved me. Armed with his pen and notepad, Scobie had a big impact on me. Well and truly part of my journey. Uh, Only wish he could have been there to write the final chapter of my playing career. He was brilliant. Uh, Jay Millman, uh, just look up under the word class in the dictionary and you see a photo of Millman. Uh, Jimmy, good morning to you. Uh, And to you, Paddy. Yeah, it was a wonderful piece because it, did something that um, I guess the way modern media goes that you, you don't really always dig into the the human stories or the what people might consider the smaller stories, but it had so much heart what John Millman did. And I guess to fill our listeners in a little bit, um, when uh, Paul Malone was was stricken and in hospital, John Millman, who'd just beaten Roger Federer. Or, or sorry, in a five-setter, had a brilliant Australian Open against uh, Roger Federer. He, in the days following, he found his way to Paul's hospital bed in Brisbane and shared a, yeah. a brilliant moment where they just talked uh, together. And uh, such a genuine, genuine person, John Millman. So yeah. uh, all the best for his next chapter in life. Yeah, well, yeah, he'll go from C-grade champion to B-grade champion and probably A-grade champion at Brisbane. Yeah, well, he's Thompson. like 10 points something. He's A-grade now. <laughs> oh, is he A-grade now? Is he okay? I oh, might be just outside here. Yeah. Righto, Jimmy, let's talk about this upheaval, the coup, whatever you want to call it, the revolt. But there were four meetings by the Rugby Australia board over the weekend. The end result is that Hamish McLennan is gone as chairman. We've got uh, Queensland Wallaby great Daniel Herbert in as the interim chairman. And uh, things have all changed dramatically. Oh, they have. And I think most of all, it just reflects the absolute depth of despair, uh, even disgust by Wallaby fans uh, from what happened at the Rugby World Cup. And most of all, they wanted accountability at the top level. Uh, Eddie Jones, gone. uh, And now Chairman Hamish McLennan, gone. So... 
the, the board itself has to reflect what the constituents think and the general public public had really lost faith with what was happening at the, the top in uh, Australian rugby. Uh, so this purge hopefully uh, moves us on to a, uh, a chapter where we can go all guns blazing towards the 2027 Rugby World Cup, which is being held in Australia. And it's not happening six months before the tournament. It's happening a full four years. So the reset button has definitely been reset. Oh, plenty to happen before that, that World Cup as well. Um, uh, you know, why – I'd love to get my hands on that letter that the, the constituents wrote uh, explaining exactly why he lost the sport. Everyone praised his move to get Jones, even at the expense of Rennie. And then when that didn't go very well, gee, they pointed the guns. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll put my hand up straight away and say I, I supported the decision to install Eddie Jones yes. as coach. Uh, he went mad professor on us, which was uh, the issue. He changed everything. So instead of just adding some Eddie special sauce to Dave Rennie's team and uh, some of the cohesive parts, he changed completely everything. Uh, got the psychologist in to examine the team and uh, where the fit of Michael Hooper might be, and that was out of the team. Uh, so there, there were those those elements, um, yeah, things ran off the rails. But uh, Hamish McLennan, just the, the upticks were that he was very significant in that securing of the hosting rights for 2027 and 2029 Rugby World Cups. Uh, he signed a broadcast deal, uh, helped the, the code out of uh, financial distress during the COVID period. So there were some some big uh, ticks. Now, the, the punchline in the letter from the States was really that they believed, and I'm quoting uh, McLennan, has been acting outside his role as a director and exerting an undue influence on the operations and executives of Rugby Australia. Yep. And we no longer have any trust or faith in his leadership or the direction in which he's taking rugby in Australia. So there's little things aside from the Rugby World Cup. Actually, I'll say big things. Yes. Uh, the states were expecting promises of uh, funding to the states which hadn't eventuated. Um, there was concern in certain areas about his push to... Mm make private, private equity um, uh, a guarantee in, in rugby. And mm-hmm. essentially that's selling off the game. And there were people who were gravely concerned that if you sell off the game just for that short-term game, you, you never get control of your game back. Um, and also, it has to be said, the signing of Joseph Suolihi really ruffled a lot of people because his Mega Millions deal just completely... Uh, changed um, the structure of what payments certain players could expect or get in uh, the the general dealings of signings. I had at least one player manager say to me that, what does that say about my player who plays in a similar position? Is he not good enough or or worth um, 40% less? Uh, It just changed the pecking order of all the the deals. And uh, McLennan's fingerprints were all over that deal. Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I agree too. But look, So let's look ahead. What is the ex-Wallaby and a Queenslander, Daniel Herbert, um, what is he going to bring, do you think, Jimmy? I think he adds uh, definitely more connection to the through the entire game. He served uh, at Queensland Rugby uh, in a general manager's role there where he got the development application through to start the Ballymore uh, redevelopment process. So he knows what it's like to just keep uh, knocking on doors and keep pushing things through. Um, he's clearly got a connection at grassroots as well. Uh, his brother, Anthony, runs the GPS rugby club, so he knows all, all about club footy. And I, I think it's not just all on uh, Daniel Herbert. You mm-hmm. now see Bill War, former Wallaby, is the chief executive. The president of Rugby Australia is Joe Roth, who is also a World Cup winner. So there's some uh, some rugby smarts from people who actually played rugby at the top level yep. there. Now, that's no guarantee that they'll get everything right. But I, I think uh, there's been a major reset here where a supportive board, um, Herbert has said, yes, we definitely want centralisation uh, agendas advanced. Um, and that's another battlefield. Um, everyone can see the value in the high performance being aligned where, say, Rugby Australia would, for example, um, help financially put in the right assistant coach, say in uh, Queensland or with the ACT Brumbies, someone who can be advanced through the system 
to help the coaching structure. But what uh, there's an anti-feeling to is uh, Rugby Australia, did, uh, we're not going to allow you to come in and run our commercial operations in Queensland. We finally got uh, Ballymore up and running and making money out of Ballymore and we don't particularly want uh, Rugby Australia coming in and running that show. Mm. So there, there's different different things that need to be uh, sorted out. But uh, everything's very raw uh, and you'd hope everyone's got an open mind to make things far better than they have been. Yeah, oh. agreed. Because the Brumbies are, you know, there's real concerns about their solvency. Yes, uh, there are, and um, the, the Brumbies definitely, with Queensland, were the, the other top dog who signed the uh, the letter to remove uh, Hamish McLennan or put um, uh, him on notice. Um, they've been concerned for a while. Uh, you'll recall a few years ago there was some ridiculous thought of combining the ACT Brumbies with the Melbourne Rebels. So take Australia's most successful province, mix it up with perhaps the least successful province and come up with nothing like that. That was a, a basket case idea. So the Brumbies have always felt threatened because they're a smaller operation. Uh, they can't get through their new stadium idea down in Canberra. Uh, so they've always felt financially threatened and not, and even under the threat of relocation in some ways. So they've always felt their the rugby Australia perhaps didn't have their backs in, in some ways. So, uh, I think they they feel uh, more secure with this direction, but that doesn't uh, put more money in the coffers. So no. they've still got to do quite a bit of work there. All right, Jelly, we've run out of time, sadly. The story not done yet, but uh, we really appreciate your take on it today. Uh, the coup is complete and the Rugby Australia chair is gone and in comes the ex-Wallaby Daniel Herbert as the new interim chair of Rugby Australia. Jimmy Tucker, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Jimmy. Good on you, boys. We've got Crash Craddock uh, on the line. We could not not have him on today after one of Australian cricket's finest wins. Crash, um, and I, I did this with Jimmy Tucker when we had a chat about the upheaval in rugby just a little while ago. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, your wonderful piece on John Millman, and John Millman has responded on socials today uh, thanking you for the, the beautiful piece you wrote about John Millman going to visit our great late mate, Scobie Malone, when he was in hospital. Yeah, and, and Pat, uh, what I couldn't believe about it, uh, for people who haven't read the story, that Paul passed away after a hospital accident and he was in uh, in hospital in a terrible way uh, for 18 months. And Millman just couldn't spot him at the Australian Open. He really liked Paul. And so a, a lot of sportsmen are you know, told by, by people, can you come and visit so-and-so? And they say, yes, I will. This was different. He was proactive. He said, I want to see Paul. And we said, look, the scenes at the Princess Alexandra Hospital spiral unit are very tough to bear, John. He said, no, 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 away I come. So when he came and they had the most beautiful hour together and um, my favourite moment was the cheekiness of Paul Malone. It really lifted him when John gave him a uh, shirt signed by the Davis Cup squad and Scobe couldn't stand Leighton Hewitt. <laughs> and he said, he said, mate, if, Hewitt, if, if, it's, if it's just got the players on it, I'll frame it. If you've got Hewitt's signature on it, I'll... Uh, uh, put it in with the wash and get it washed out. And he said, "Don't you think I've suffered enough?" You know. So, uh, but that, he, he's a beautiful man, John Millman. And I, I missed when Paul passed away. I should have thanked him then. But when he announced his retirement, of course, he's doing a lap of Australia. I thought I'll, I'll, I'll thank him now for for what he did. Yeah. Well done, mate. Yeah, well done, mate. And it was a beautiful article as well. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, we are now a six-time World Cup winner. Yeah, look, I've got to say, uh, Heels and Pat, um, I I can't think of a better win by Australia in coloured clothes because, one, the size of the crowd, two, the doctored pitch, three, an Indian team who had the top three bowling averages in the tournament and three of the top four batting averages, uh, unbeaten, uh, the biggest crowd ever in cricket. Like, how does it... I can't see how, how I can't, Hills, I can't find the win that beats it. I, I really can't. No, and I've said today, Crash, too, uh, I had to get it clear in my mind why it is the best. And I came up with eight things, all, all that you've just said. So so I, I think it is the best um, as well. That that pitch, the the stale pitch that they put out in Ahmedabad, it didn't fool Pat Cummins, though, did it? No, because they, they, they got data. That the and it's striking data that after dark the spinners and the fast bowlers 
had horrendous records in this World Cup. Like it's sort of like of a bowling average of forty and fifty per wicket. Whereas in daylight hours, it was terrific, and <clears throat> that prompted them to think, well, this wicket obviously improves, and the hint of dew obviously makes it easy to bat. But still, having said that, we must be reminded that Rohit Sharma just said flat out at the toss what I was thinking, a million other fans were thinking, oh, no, in finals you put runs on the board. You know, he said we would have batted first. So Cummins had heels, you'd have to say it, one of the great games by an Australian cricket captain. 22 bowling changes. I think between overs 20 and 40, there was two boundaries. Um, You know, Mitchell Marsh was bowling at 116 kilometres an hour that pace that no one ever bowls with the keeper up over the stumps. There were some brilliant little subplots in that game, Ian, wasn't there? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but you know that scoreboard pressure you try to post and our generations loved posting maybe 240 or whatever. There's just so much pressure on that side batting first now to make 340 plus, isn't there? That, that's getting harder than chasing. Yeah, do you know what? I hadn't said that and I hadn't given that a solitary thought until you said it, but you're right. In the old days, I remember that. Remember where if you snuck up around 240, 250, there'd be that calm period. Batting strike rates, you know, look at Jeff Marsh's batting strike rate. What was it, 70 runs per 100 balls? And he was considered an icon of the white ball game. Uh, So so you're right, but now... even early in India's innings, when Rohit Sharma was going off, if they had a quiet five balls, it seemed, well, come on, are you going to get going again? Mm. You know, so you're right, there's that frenetic nature. So, but I, I still, I thought it was brave beyond belief what he did. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned the pitch because you know what? Tough titties, India. I mean, fancy, they try, they overcooked it. A, a simple flat pitch, they probably would have won that game. But, but, but they, but by this ugly two-toned wicket, it just, you know, Australia read it beautifully. They really did. Hey, Travis Head uh, missed the start of the series with this uh, with a broken hand and has come out and done extraordinary things, particularly in the really big pressure matches. Oh, yeah, Pat. I mean, look, hats off to the selectors. Uh, sent him home to Adelaide, which I criticised at the time. I thought he should have been on tour. And then kept faith with them in a knife-edge call, honestly. They could have easily said, no, Travis, you're not coming back. But apparently one of the lines they said was, what if we've got a really big heavy-duty game at the end of the tournament, say, against India? Who do you want to be the spark plug at the top of the order? And that got him back. And, and I have to say, he's a victory for Cummins' laid-back leadership. Australia's tried about four different ways to get the best out of Travis Head, including sacking him off the contract list. But Cummins had just said to him, mate, you just be yourself. Just be free, Trav. Go out and hit the ball. And, and, and he's delivering heels um, in a way that, you know, I often say that South Australia's had three champion left-handed batsmen, David Hooks, Wayne Phillips, and Darren Lehman, who were brilliant, but they only none of them played more than 30 tests. And, and I thought... This guy is cracking the code, isn't he? So it's interesting. Yes, it's good to watch. This T20 series uh, that now starts in four days' time, five T20 games against India, how much do you know about it? Um, And uh, the absolute need to uh, have a top team there. Yeah. Heels doesn't cricket let itself down. I mean, it's just greed. And, I mean, I I heard a figure some years ago that when Australia – plays in a um, uh, India in a 50 over game in India it makes was it four million dollars or something like that but so this will be each game will be a, a seven figure result for Australian cricket but why in God's name are they playing yeah. like it's just it's like coming on stage after Elvis isn't it you, you just <laughs> it, it demeans everything and uh, this and that's one of the problems with cricket this World Cup means so much. And then we transition into a series which means absolutely nothing. Yeah. Hey, uh, you may not have been listening earlier, but Heald's had a, a really good idea. And I know Travis had as part of this T20 squad. He said he would be much better served, and Australian cricket would be much better served, getting him home to Adelaide this weekend for the Adelaide 500, where, as you know, the entire city stops for this motor race and parading him around on the back of an open-top truck and say, here, have a look at this. 
This is our new hero. You know what? That, that, that's the sort of moment that cricket needs because, you know, you, you've got a, you know, following Sam Playbergate in 218, this team has probably lacked cast iron heroes and blokes who are, and Head is that status in Adelaide. He yes. really is. And, and, and he was terrific point. I mean, you know, that we need, we saw what the Matildas were. They rated 7 million on television. Mm. They're up there. And, this is a chance for Australia to celebrate itself. And I, I, we all, um, uh, you know, I see these jokes on Twitter, Patton Hills, where, where I think Mark Gottlieb from Channel 9 say, find someone in your life who loves you like Adelaide loves Travis Head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite true. That, that is good. They, they had him pegged as the captain five years ago uh, of Australian cricket. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. Time to get him out there. Alex Carey wouldn't do, wouldn't be the worst to accompany him around the track in Adelaide too. Um, yeah, great. You know, India need great credit. They they had a great tournament. They were hard to beat. They got the best out of Australia. Yeah, I crash. Oh. Yeah, sorry, mate. We have run out of time, and it's wonderful to talk to you. But uh, yeah, fair to say that uh, as Barrett said, a red letter time for Australian cricket. Oh, yeah, it, it's just. You know, a good generation becomes a great one, really. If you can, I mean, you, you you need defining moments, and I think it's okay retaining the Ashes in England, not winning them, but World Cups define generations. They're golden studs, and you know, we're, we're a bit blasé. Uh, South Africa have won none of them; they've never made a final. Australia's won six, yep. but uh, it's so uh, it's a defining moment. Thanks yeah. for having us, guys. Yeah, really appreciate your Thank time you, as always, Crash. Thank you.